Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Lodestradamus. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, he's the senior medical mind at Fox News, Mark Siegel, MD. He's gravely concerned about an unseen war, Dr. John Ivan. The Holderness family proves pickleball ain't just for grandpa. She's the mean girl, Michael Lynn Hansen. And Rachel Lampa in the spotlight. And now from Times Square, where even supermodels will get dumped by their boyfriends for walking too slow, here's that heaven! Uh, that's. That's rather harsh, isn't it? I mean, not that she has to be a supermodel, but I would just think that supermodels might might be worth it to be a little bit patient <laughs> wherever they got to go. Although, I've got to fess up. Um, this week was UN week in uh, New York, and I know that the rest of the world is fascinated by that, probably thinks it's very cool to have you know, the the entirety of the world community coming and representing itself and giving speeches and so forth. Most New Yorkers just want them to get out of town. Um, you double park on all of our east side streets, your little diplomat license plates, uh, you get tickets on those cars. You never pay those tickets. We never see that revenue. And I was talking with my uh, <clears throat> Friday night co-host, uh, Christine Nicholas, the great Christine Nicholas, the greatest Greatest PR guru on planet Earth. She was uh, on this show, actually, a little bit earlier in the year. But I was talking with her on Friday night, and I said, here's here's what you do. You level the UN. You kick all the diplomats out. We turn that into parking garages. Now you're talking. <laughs> Make some money off these things. Um, no, it's uh, – but so if you can't drive, and if, you're, and if your driver can't drive, and if your Uber driver can't drive anywhere – uh, then you end up walking a lot. So there, there are a lot of there are a lot of very tired little uh, female feats in New York this weekend from the high heels that they wear everywhere because they want to look good. Uh, but then they had to walk a lot, and it was just not a good week. Uh, anyway, that'll be done. UN will be over. They'll be on their way. We'll be back to normal here in the world's greatest city. Anyway, glad to have you with us. Welcome in. We got a big show for you tonight. Dr. Mark Siegel's in the house. Uh, he's going to talk about some serious stuff. In fact, first hour is going to be pretty, pretty serious all the way around. Um, because then Dr. John Eibner is going to join us. There's a war going on that you don't know about because nobody's covering it. And it's a war that is dangerous and is killing people and people, massive numbers of people are going to die if Congress doesn't get involved. And if we don't in some way say, Hey, put an end to this. Uh, which is what we're hoping to help make happen tonight. But it was a sad week all the way around for America. If you look at what the administration revealed and by necessity had to answer questions in Congress for, you got this idea that these people have been misbehaving on the job for the past three years. 
No one more importantly uh, pointed that out than uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general himself. Did you catch his little uh, uh, appearance before the committees, uh, before the judiciary, before the oversight? Um, he had a lot of questions to answer, and he didn't do a really good job of answering them. Have you had personal contact with anyone at FBI headquarters about the Hunter Biden investigation? Uh, don't I, don't, I don't recollect the answer to that question, but the FBI works for the Justice Department. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You don't, recollect, you don't recollect whether you've talked with anybody at FBI headquarters about an investigation of the president's son? I, I don't believe that I did. I promised the Senate when I came um, before it for confirmation that I would leave Mr. Weiss in place and that I would not interfere with his investigation. I have kept that promise. That wasn't what he was asked. He wasn't asked if he had broken the promise and interfered with the investigation. He was asked if he'd spoken to anyone at FBI about the Hunter laptop. Answering the question, yes or no, would not interfere with the investigation. There's nothing in his answer that prevents him from giving an honest answer to the oversight committee that is questioning him. And he's accountable to. He's accountable to we the people. The representatives of the people are those that are in the House. The House is questioning him about his uh, odd, strange coincidences of how the investigation unfolded, why he didn't name someone a special counsel at first and then did later uh, after the plea bargain deal fell apart. I mean, there's all kinds of ramifications to whether or not he was in communication with the FBI, senior leadership at the FBI. And as the uh, attorney general, it would be perfectly within his right and duties and probably responsibilities to be in conversation with them. You can converse with people without interfering with people. That wasn't the worst thing that had that he had to face, uh, though, this week. There was another moment that was even more outrageous. I need a simple yes or no to the following, just yes or no. Do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Answer I have no idea what, your, what the traditional uh, means here. Yes the or idea no. that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI question. that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is Are they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Why was it so hard for him to get to that answer? The memo is, is an anathema to American law enforcement. The things they said about people of faith, church-going people in this situation, Catholics themselves, to assume that they have hostile intent towards the government and they need to be infiltrated with FBI agents or Department of Justice agents, that in and of itself is offensive. And the fact that he oversees the Justice Department that issues those memos and gives those directives, uh, even if it's all carried out by underlings, it doesn't it – doesn't absolve him of responsibility. It happened on his watch. And the cloaked government, the cloaked state, the cloaked security apparatus 
is calling you and me, if we're church-going people, extremists. And instead of saying, I condemn that memo, I will discipline the people in my department that put it out, I will see to it that we never have that policy again. He didn't say any of that. You know what he did? He played the Jew card. How dare you ask me about my background and my, my family and the history and blah, blah, blah. Nobody's talking about your family, Attorney General Garland. And if your family was persecuted for their faith, that was wrong too. But that doesn't mean you get to ignore the question and give weight to an operation that is targeting church and faith-based people as extremists. That is not an allowance for you to behave in this way. And all I could think about as we were watching this unfold was, man, am I glad this guy's not on the Supreme Court. And he was this close to getting there. Save Mitch McConnell's uh, little strategy to not bring him up for a vote. Man, did we dodge a bullet. But I want to end on something positive. Maybe you missed it, but there was a very touching moment by a very special person from a very special generation at Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign stop this week. Did you see it? A veteran of World War II. The words you're saying are exactly what my generation grew up in. Children, adults stood at attention and crossed their heart when the flag passed by in the parade. School started with a prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance. That's no longer going on. There was a loyalty and pride in America. Children were leaving school 12, 13 years old and joining the service to protect our country. It was one country, America. And I like your policies. I love to hear it because it's what I remember. Thank you very much. You're my hero. You're my hero. They are our heroes, the greatest generation. And that's why I want you to come with me to uh, Normandy, England, and France next year to celebrate the 80th anniversary of that generation's liberation of Europe from the Nazis. We have to remember the evil that's been defeated so that we can live in the freedoms that we have now. Come join us. Uh, thatkevintour.com for all the details. Thatkevintour.com. Come on right back from New York. Don't you change that dial. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you, I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. I'm very glad to have my next guest back. He is no stranger to those of you who watch Fox News. Uh, he is their chief medical uh, senior analyst, uh, and he discusses all things related to wellness about uh, life. Uh, his name is Dr. Mark Siegel. Hello, doctor. Good to have you back. I like the new introduction better because you usually put in the gray hair idea. A senior, you could, you could be a young senior, so That's I'm true. okay with that. That's true. <laughs> well, you are, um, I think, Dr. Siegel, one of the things that people like about you is that you've, you've used your entire life to try to make the lives of other people better. 
And uh, we live in very perilous times. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of really heartbreaking stories, uh, because as we think about wellness in today's life, there's different challenges than there were when I was a kid growing up. I don't think my parents ever once uh, heard the word fentanyl or worried about a daycare that was going to have a child exposed to it. What happened in this New York story? And uh, why was it so easy for this child to come into contact with this very deadly uh, toxic substance? Well, let's take it back uh, 10 to 20 years and just start by saying physicians are culpable in a lot of this because fentanyl came on the market in the 1990s for pain meds for terminal cancer pain. And it was a really appropriate drug. We used fentanyl patches when I was in my training. And it worked for people that are in chronic pain. So we put it on the market, and then we started over-prescribing opioids to people that were having surgery, dental procedures, because we, we were taught that, that pain was the fifth vital sign, and we were overlooking it. I uh, work with a neurophysiologist, happens to be my wife, top neurologist I know, who I've never seen her prescribe opioids. And there's ways to treat pain without opioids, but wow. doctors were called into believing this. And that opened the door, and we're only partly responsible, but that opened the door for um, people becoming addicted to pain meds, and that increased the opioid crisis in the illicit market. It fed it, really. It fed it. Because when you didn't get a prescription, where were you going to get it from? And if you did get a prescription, somebody else could take it out of the medicine cabinet. Now, right now, Kevin, I think we've kind of subtracted ourselves. I don't think doctors are a big part of the problem right now, but what happened was that the cartels kind of zoomed up and increased what they were doing, and they started making synthetic opioids rather than the poppy fields, which have now dried up. Two main cartels in, in Mexico are responsible for a lot of this, and they rely on Americans and Americans to bring it across the border, and, and they advertise in high schools by the border. And so it's, a, it's an enormous industry right now, pharmaceutical ingredients coming from um, – coming from China, coming from India, coming into the, into Mexico. You can make this stuff in a 10-foot lab and then zooming across the border into the United States. You know we have a porous border, and then it goes all over the country, and then, again, available on the Internet. Now, your question was how the heck did you get it into this daycare center? And it's clearly that it was a front for somebody selling this stuff, and he had over a kilo of fentanyl there. And oh. the, the direct answer to your question is you get it by touch. It's so potent and so powerful that if a baby were to touch it and put it in their mouth, they could overdose. So for those that are not as initiated into the narcotic um, scene, and I'm certainly one of those, I've... <laughs> sound like a church boy, but I've never done one illicit uh, drug of any sort. Um, we know, we, we hear, we see everywhere that fentanyl is so dangerous and one pill can kill you and all the rest of this. But our, our young people are still desiring to try it. How do they know what they're doing when they, when they do? I mean, how, where is the audience that is telling the young people even is illicitly, uh, this, is, this is really fun, you should go try it? It seems to me everywhere I turn, I hear fentanyl, dangerous fentanyl, bad fentanyl will kill you. Uh, and yet we still have these accidents and these situations happening all over the place. Well, that's true. That's our counter narrative. But the actual narrative itself is coming from social media. And it may not even be fentanyl. The part I left out was it could be that fentanyl is tainting another pill. You know, there's a new study out of UCLA, and it's a very large study that showed that 
one third of all the autopsies uh, for drug abuse, drug overdose uh, over the past decade, one third were polypharmacy. So they included cocaine or methamphetamine in the West, cocaine in the East. So people, some people might have been thinking they're getting one thing and then fentanyl's added in and then they overdose. And even if you use Narcan to reverse it, by the way, I think the reason that they couldn't save the one-year-old at that tragic story in the daycare center is you could use Narcan, but then the Narcan wears off. You got to get a person into the hospital and put them on intravenous Narcan to really reverse the effects of fentanyl. It takes time. So let me ask you, I was speaking with your colleague, Dr. Jeanette Nishwat, on our famous cruise around the harbor, which you were out of the country and unable to uh, be with us on this year, but maybe you'll be again with us uh, next year. But Yeah, I'm having a special cruise. That was one of my favorite sex cruises, and I was in France. I was in France. I'm sorry. Well, you know, Paris versus uh, New York Harbor, I guess we'll give you forgiveness this time. But let me ask you, Jeanette brought up to me, she said, Kevin, we, we have all kinds of helps getting people medication. She goes, I don't understand why we don't have a greater interest in providing Narcan on a much more widely distributed basis, uh, even over-the-counter type, uh, you know, uh, applications, et cetera, because the need for it is that great. Do you echo those sentiments? It, should it be more available than it is currently? Yes. And and uh, I, I spoke to the governor of Virginia uh, when I came back from Paris, by the way, with no, no sleep. I interviewed the governor of Virginia, and he's doing just that in Virginia. You know, he's making a big push against fentanyl. He calls Virginia a border state, by the way, which I think is very revealing. And uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin, I'm talking about. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm all for, it's not just Virginia that's doing that. I, I'm all for getting Narcan more available. Now, people who say if you give Narcan, uh, you know, you're going to remind people they could be taking fentanyl. I don't buy. I don't buy that. I I don't buy that. That's like saying, you know, if I start talking to you about cigarettes, you're going to smoke them. That's never. That's that thinking never works. You just because you get the antidote out there doesn't mean you're going to have more people taking the drug. Well, it's the uh, it's the idea of um, at least having it as available as the um, as the drugs are. I think it. What we lost a hundred thousand uh, citizens last year to fentanyl. Did we not, Doctor Siegel? Yeah, and I bet Dr. Jeanette said to you uh, the following, which is also true, which is, you know, there's no downside to Narcan. You, you, could, you could shoot it up the nose of someone that didn't overdose, and nothing's going to happen to them. There's no negative, so we definitely need it. And anyone can use it. It doesn't have to be a physician. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I think uh, for both of the things that you just said, I think it's uh, a good idea, and I, I kind of uh, echoed that. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk with Dr. Mark Siegel about uh, something that is being put into the discussion across the board, everywhere from the NFL to primetime television, et cetera. It is uh, suicide prevention, and what is the real epidemic that we are facing here in this country, and, and are there things that we can do to begin to stem this uh, dangerous dangerous trend. We'll uh, get into all of that. Maybe uh, Governor Youngkin had some thoughts on that as well. We'll talk about all that and more with Dr. Mark Siegel as we continue. I'm Kevin McCullough from New York, Uncle Way. Ready or not, he'll be right back.
that Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough. So glad to have you with us. Uh, you know that I love to talk about things that make society better, make us m- more complete, more whole, more well, if you if you will. Uh, and you've heard a lot of discussion in the last few days about suicide prevention. We always kind of think about it this time of year. Uh, we also end up in the month of October talking a lot about cancer. There's a lot of things that need to have uh, more exposure given to them. But the trend with suicide, especially amongst our military men and women and um, other first com- first responder communities, has has been troubling for a while. And even in New York City, the New York Police Department for a couple of years uh, was dealing with this on kind of an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Siegel rejoins us. Dr. Siegel, what is the what is what is it in your thinking as to why we are seeing the number of people considering taking their own lives that they are, and some unfortunately far too many of them being successful? National Suicide Prevention Month, the month of September. Uh, shocking statistics from the CDC in 2021: one third of all teenage girls considered suicide, hmm. and two-thirds were experiencing periods of hopelessness or, or, or isolation or unhappiness. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has put out an advisory on loneliness, which is very bold. I believe he's right about this. He's been studying this for years. He, he calls it a lack of connectivity. I think the pandemic played a huge role in this, but here specifically is what it is regarding the pandemic, that people were locked down, isolated in their homes. Schools were closed, and they reached out to connect via social media, via their iPhones. And a lot of that is has been engineered. Again, that's a little bit of an overstated word, engineered. It's, it's, it signifies virus manipulations these days. But it, there was an engineering going on of how to pollute our teens' brains. And TikTok is a prime example of that. I mean, my son was telling me, and he's he's pretty immune. He's got a good sense of humor. He's 18. He's doing really well. My youngest was saying to me, you know, Dad, they actually develop an algorithm for each person, and they figure out what videos to send them. Coming out of China, by the way, that's a scary thought. I mean, that's kind of what we worry about with AI, but I think AI can be managed in the healthcare world by doctors and by nurse practitioners. But this is scary, social media. And I think social media has played a very neg- negative role here, that plus the isolation that I spoke about. And why social media has played a negative role? Because it sets up a perfectionism that you can't reach. Remember, you're looking at a screen. You can't be that beautiful person. You may be beautiful, but you may not have that, that perfection. It's a perfectionism. And if you aspire to perfectionism, And I'm concluding in one of my pieces this week that we doctors don't actually look at perfection. Kevin, we may look at it as a cosmetic plastic surgeon, perhaps, or a cosmetic dermatologist. But most of us, most of us physicians are looking at imperfection. It's called pathology. Right. You know, we we start off perfect, but then our clock winds down. So we're, we're used to celebrating imperfection as physicians. But that's not what social media does. Well, and you're saying that that effect has an outsized uh, amount of weight on one's mind and one's mental health. Yeah, and, and I would like to I would like to uh, not separate in this discussion teenage girls from boys because I view every as a physician tend to view everyone the same, but I think that teenage girls are more susceptible to that 
perfect body image idea. Yeah. And that and they're more sensitive to bullying and they're more sensitive to be, to mockery. And I think it happens more commonly among girls. And that's why girls in this survey were more in the CDC information were were more unhappy and were more prone to suicidal thinking is really dangerous. You just mentioned you're also impulsive at that age. You're also impulsive. at Right. That age. You just mentioned you had a conversation with Governor Youngkin in Virginia, and he's he's doing some stuff along these lines. What What is he doing and why do you like it? I love this. Uh, and I would encourage anybody to look up my interview with him online. I, I We aired most of it on Fox and Friends last weekend. But what I really was encouraged about with him is that he starts with the idea of family. That's how he got elected. So it isn't just another superimposed government platitude program where they say we're going to do this and this. He says, you know, let's start with family. Let's support family and community, and let's strengthen those interventions. Yeah. Doc, always appreciate your time. You're super busy, but you give us so generously, uh, and I just appreciate it. Thanks for being here. You're a great host, Kevin. Love being on with you. I'm sorry I missed toasting you on the boat next year. <laughs> next year. You, you got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Don't go away. Ready or not. We'll be right back. That Kevin. Ladies and gentlemen, I am uh, glad to welcome back my next guest. He has not been with us um, in this capacity in 2023, but uh, this story is so big, I felt like we needed to talk with him uh, directly. He is the uh, international leader, director, president, chief bottle washer. Or, uh, he does everything for uh, Christian Solidarity International on the international scale, uh, and we are so honored to have him back. Dr. John Eibner, thanks for being here. Pleasure to be with you. Good to be back with you, Kevin. I wish it was under different circumstances, but we've been covering the standoff in Nagorno-Karabakh for most of this year with Dr. Joel Veldkamp joining us and keeping us updated. But yesterday there was a turn in the um, for the for the worse in the relationship between Azerbaijan and the citizens of Nagorno-Karabakh. Can you bring us up to speed on what's happening there? Sure. Well, yesterday, Azerbaijan attacked this uh, Christian enclave. There are 120,000 Armenian Christians who are determined to live their lives according to their uh, Christian faith and their uh, their Armenian traditions. And Azerbaijan claims uh, it's their territory. And Azerbaijan has a long history of genocidal actions. I wrote a report 30 years ago with the Baroness Cox, Ethnic Cleansing in Progress. And today I would uh, refer to it as Ethnic Religious Cleansing in Progress. Mm -hmm. And it is still in progress. And they finally uh, made another attack on uh, the population there. People are panicking. 
Uh, there was a ceasefire declared uh, today, but the reports that we get is that there are still shooting. Thousands of people are huddled together at the airport, hoping that they can be evacuated. It's a really horrible situation. As I say, we've seen it coming mm. for a long time. We issued a genocide warning back in uh, uh, December of, of last year. And so this ethnic cleansing genocide has been coming at us in slow motion, the world has watched and observed. It's not something that uh, the international community and our uh, national leaders and international leaders don't know about. Well, the interesting thing about this, and I, I did say that we've been covering it here, that we've been doing what we can to raise the flag of awareness about it. And I know that you've had some friends. You mentioned Baroness Cox. She joined us a few weeks ago. Uh, former Senator and former Ambassador Brownback, uh, I know, spoke with people like Congressman Chris Smith and others. And the congressman from New Jersey uh, reached out directly, open letter directed at the president just a week ago, saying uh, that uh, the Biden administration needs to do something about this because the situation is deteriorating. It looks like if Azerbaijan has resorted to, and you mentioned an attack, let me be specific for my viewers and listeners. This is this is not uh, in any way symbolic. This is military action that they were taking against the region. Uh, Dr. Eibner, it, whatever degree that we have had these allies in these governments uh, step forward, they, they've not gotten through to the decision makers yet. Yeah, well, the decision makers uh, in this case are the, the dictator of Azerbaijan and uh, uh, Turkey. They, they're, they're twins. Uh, they are determined to uh, uh, really eradicate the, the uh, Armenian Christian presence that stands between these two Turkic Muslim countries. I don't have a map here, but Armenia and Karabakh stands between these two powers, and they would like to, uh, you know, you know, really eliminate the Armenian state, uh, eliminate the Armenian population, and these powers are our allies. It's, it's not dissimilar it's to it's not dissimilar to the fight over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem when you think about it. Two two sides claiming that this is their historic land, but you mentioned that the Armenians have been there for generations. The Armenians are some of the earliest Christians recorded, and Nagorno-Karabakh, as I've learned through our coverage, is one of the sacred places that they've always uh, been. So this is this is really. Um, very, very important to them, and the road that connects mainland Armenia to uh, to Nagorno-Karabakh has been uh, consistently um, blockaded and other things, trying to starve uh, with a siege uh, that city, uh, but now they've resorted to military action. Does this indicate, in your mind, Dr. Eibner, uh, something much bigger, that they may be willing to go in there and use force in a way that we have not yet uh, seen? Well, they are already using military forces, bombarding uh, civilians. Uh, reports are a little bit sketchy about what's happening on the ground, but they did this two, uh, or actually four years ago in 2000, uh, 23 years ago, uh, a major assault displaced, ethnically cleansed tens of thousands of people. I've just come back from Armenia itself, the Republic of Armenia, and witnessed uh, Azeri um, uh, military occupation of Armenian land. It's not Nagorno-Karabakh. Oh, wow. They have bigger 
aspirations. The president of Azerbaijan publicly calls the Republic of Armenia West Azerbaijan. It is important that you call. What Dr. Eibner said is vital. 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121 uh, to contact your congressional member. You can use that same number to reach the Senate side, and I would encourage reaching everybody. Reach reach your entire state delegation, your congressman, both of your senators. Uh, let them know uh, your thoughts on this immediately. Um, the other uh, side of what Dr. Eibner said is the need, and there will be need every time there are people displaced, uh, there's a, a massive need, and Christian Solidarity International will be there with help uh, in every way that they can uh, provide it, uh, and you can you can contribute to that by going to csi-usa.org, right there on the homepage. Uh, just click through on the uh, Nagorno-Karabakh uh, crisis information, and that will lead you to the ways that you can donate. But go to csi-usa.org, csi-usa.org, and uh, be as generous as you can. They need everything. They need medicines. They need food, blankets, all of it. They're going to need all of it. Uh, the more that uh, this drags on, there has been a ceasefire. It is not expected to hold. There will be more bad activity, and CSI is needed at this moment in time to be there for those that are under this uh, direct attack. Dr. Eibner, I always wish it was under different circumstances that you and I uh, get to see each other, but thank you for being with us this time. Thank you. Maybe one day there'll be a jolly occasion and we can uh, meet up and speak about it, Kevin. That, that would be okay? the day I would look forward to. Dr. John Eibner, <laughs> CSI, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, Kevin McCullough, coming right back from Times Square. Don't go away. Ready or not, you'll be right back. With a no-drink minimum, it's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, the first of two duets tonight. Here is Andrew Rip and Rachel Lampa. They say you're only as good as your last success and failure's not an option. Maybe that's why. Exhausted, held so tight to their applause. When it stopped, I thought the yours were too. Till you said that my heart to you is worth everything.
Stick around, Kevin McCullough, glad you're here. <laughs> 